Ephesians chapter 2, you can catch up on our previous weeks on our YouTube channel or Spotify channel if you'd like to do that. Ephesians chapter 2, let me read you some verses, breaking down walls and bringing peace. For some of you in the room, you'll remember the John Lennon t-shirt, war is over, I'm sure, but for most of us it's a little bit before our time, but uh, some of you think I was around then, but I wasn't, I assure you. Okay, let's, uh, let me read from Ephesians chapter 2, 16 onwards from the message version of the Bible. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us equals and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all irrespective of how we got here. In what he is building, uh, in what he is building, he used to, he used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day. A holy temple built by God, all of us built into Him, a temple in which God is quite at home. Last week, uh, you looked at, for those of you that are here, you looked at how Christ reconciled you to himself. Uh, as we accept Jesus as our saviour, then we are united to him. We become his friends. We enter into a relationship. Totally united, you and Christ, if you have said yes to him. doesn't matter how far away from God somebody is, Jesus offers reconciliation. You might look at a mess of a person or you might look at the nature of somebody's character and think, well, they would never have anything to do with God and God would have, never have anything to do with them. Well, last week, the Ephesians verses told us, for anybody who wants it, Christ has reconciled them to himself. Our job is just to pass that invite on to anybody who wants to hear it. They can know God. Again, I've known people who were known in a certain community and, and were thought, they're never, they're never going to know God. And when they become a Christian, like word goes round the place and you hear the sort of phrase, they were the least likely person I knew would become a Christian. And yet Christ seems to do that time and time and time again. The passage that I read was referring to uh, very specifically the reconciliation of the Jews and the Gentiles well to my knowledge none of us here are, are Jews by background and have got saved from that environment so the reality is we're all Gentiles I think in the room if there is any uh, Jews here I'd be fascinated to talk to you after but I'm pretty sure that's not the case but the principle of reconciliation of being united together is what I'm talking about this morning the principles work across greater than just Jew and Gentile you see, here's the, the gulp or the reality of the statement. In being reconciled to Christ as Christians, 
we're automatically reconciled to one another. We, we live in an era, don't we, where people are suspicious of church and the organization, and, and part of me gets that, and the failures, and, and we can see as many uh, Netflix documentaries as we want about that, and, and, and there's no harm in, 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 it's good to call out stuff where stuff has gone wrong. But if it leads us to a point where we say, I follow Jesus, but I don't like the church, immediately we're a little bit at odds with this Ephesians 2 passage, because... Just the simple reality is Christ's heart is to unite us to him and then unite us to one another. It's a major theme of, of the New Testament through and through. Jesus wants us to belong together. Our unity matters to him. And in fact, Christ has prayed, paid a great price for our togetherness. He died on a cross, not just so that you and I can know him personally. He died on a cross so that in our humanity we could get on together and build something of extraordinary worth with him and for him. The cross isn't about coming to church. The cross is about being family together. Social commentators would say that we live in a time of an individualistic age of tribalism. That's how they're described at the moment, an individualistic age of tribalism. Gosh, Google it if you want. You don't need to get into too much of the detail. But uh, the reality is people have never been so connected and at the same, the same time so lonely. That's where we find ourselves in this cultural moment. People can connect with anybody all the time, can't they? And yet levels of loneliness on all surveys are, th are through the roof. And this is where you get this idea, this individualistic age. What often seems to unite people in a societal sense these days isn't the building of relationships in a harmonious way, particularly who people you're not quite like. What seems to, to get people on the same page these days is, well, what are you against? That I will find my tribe, not because I want to build a relationship with you, I will find my tribe with those of you that agree with me and will form a relationship by what we hate. And I think, I think if you look at social commentary these days, you can see how that more than ever has become part of our culture, isn't it? And, and you, you roll back not many years where you think that people across different sorts of backgrounds would live on a street and would know each other and there would just be a sense of how can we build connection with one another even though we know we're different. Whereas these days, that seems to be less and less on the agenda of people's hearts. Into the midst of this, Paul speaks. The Holy Spirit encourages, you guys of church, you've been reconciled to one another. Your family, you belong together. You're meant to be able to build relationship like nobody else. John Mark Comer, he... He's looked at various studies that are out there and there are legion that what makes people happy? This isn't in a Christian context. This is like, uh, like what makes people happy? And there aren't a million things and it boils down to these four things that generally makes people happy. The first one is a few close friends. People's happiness massively increases if they've got a few close friends. To be known, somebody to be happy with and someone to be sad with. It's a good question to ask ourselves this morning, isn't it? Have I got somebody I can be happy with? And have I got somebody I can be sad with? 
Another one, and again, it's not politically correct these days, but a nuclear family, you know, a, a defined family unit. You can expand that a little bit and talk about kinship relationships are also valid when they look at the studies as well. You know, not necessarily just the flesh and blood type relationship, but, but close family type groups. Relationships with length and strength that are like a family. Again, in our, in our world, our kids would say that we've got friends that are closer than uncles and aunts in many instances, and those extended kinship relationships, they're not blood relationships, you understand, but those extended kinship relationships have really enriched their lives, that our friends have become important to our kids, and that really matters to them. So you've got a few close friends You've got family or kinship relationships that have got like a family unit thing. The third one is meaningful work. Again, salary has a lot less to do with it than you think. Again, I've talked about that in previous things. But people where they feel like they're adding to human flourishing. You, you, you might be in a certain job where that isn't obvious, but if in that role you can find a place where you're adding to somebody else's flourishing in some way or other, then, then that brings you value. And the fourth one, not relevant to this morning but important, is a philosophy or a theology to deal with suffering. How do we make sense of pain in this life? If you've got those four things going on, then our happiness levels tend to be much higher. Atheists often find a sense of hopelessness around the suffering question. As Christians, we've got somewhere to take our suffering. We follow a God who suffered himself. I read uh, again on Friday just preparing for this. Trauma is when we experience suffering alone. Suffering itself doesn't necessarily result in trauma, but suffering alone often results in trauma. Listening is a form of love. Into the midst of this, Paul writes, you've been reconciled to one another. I find it fascinating the 12 people that Jesus gathered around him. I truly find it fascinating. You've got a Roman sympathizer. You've got a zealot revolutionary, a businessman and a thief. James and John have anger issues. You've got an unusual team of people that have nothing in common. And Jesus very specifically, very deliberately says, I'll have you 12 to be part of my team, to know me. But what's he doing? He's causing them to form relationship with one another. We get no hint, do we, in the Bible that any of them change their political views particularly. Or, or you know, we, we don't see how, how those relationships form in, the, in a great deal of detail. But Jesus clearly was putting these guys together to say, I am forming you into a family. I need relationship with one another to really matter to you lot. Because it's through this relationship you'll change the face of the earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Without Christ at the centre, they would have never been united. But if Christ is at the centre, if he is at the centre of my life, let's make it personal, I will form deep relationships with people that I would never normally form deep relationships with. And that is the expectation, that's the expected of me by God. When different people unite because of the cross of Christ, 
will shine like a beacon of light and hope, I believe, in a dark world. One of our greatest testimonies should be, I belong to this strange community of people that in some ways are nothing like me. But we have a common cause, and that cause is Jesus. And for reasons I can't explain, I've united my heart and my life with this group of people. And together we might just change the world in which we're based. It's not enough to say, Jesus, thank you, my sins are forgiven. Romans 12 puts it this way. Let me read you a few verses from Romans 12. Couldn't improve on it. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, chiefly expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray, pray all the harder. Help needy Christians be attentive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. Bless your enemies. Gosh. Is that the nature of the world in which we live at the moment? Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. When one of us here celebrates with good news, are we genuinely delighted for them, even if we're going through a difficult time? Because they're our brother or sister and they've been blessed. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. Some of us might want to write that down this week. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Let me encourage you to join a hub. It's just the start of building relationship. The church isn't meant to be simply a relational home for you. The church isn't simply meant to be a relational home for me. We're meant to be a relational home for one another. It never works to ask the question, what am I getting out of this? The question is, what are we building together? Power linked to unity. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, too, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I find this just like a real fascinating reality that if we're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within us. No doubt about that. He's made his home within us. This is now his home. And yet there's a sense in which in our unity, God dwells in our midst in a different and peculiar way. You know most of you, I'm involved in Nottingham City Prayer and lead that together. And this is what we pray every single month. Is at Trent Vineyard this Sunday, uh, sorry, this Thursday at seven o'clock. Anybody's welcome. Google it, Nottingham City Prayer for details. Our vision is to see Christ Church united, God's power released, our city blessed. 
Here's the conviction of the hundred or so of us that meet every month. God's power released in some way is linked to our being united. We want God to fill this place with his presence, with his power, to see more miracles, to see blind eyes open, to see lives changed. We want that powerfully. Does it come down to preaching? Does it come down to worship? All of these things matter. But unity seems to massively matter to God. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. It's fascinating in this scripture that it talks about our unity together. And so we might tend to think, well, I'll, I want to be the sort of person that keeps the peace. I think, I think most people in a Christian sense would want to be a reconciler to some. But it's more than keeping the peace that Jesus is talking about or Paul's talking about here. He's questioning us. He's saying the mandate on us as church is to follow the example of Christ who was a bringer of peace. He brought reconciliation into situations that were difficult. I never need to fight people to follow Christ. There's a spiritual warfare out there. I fight in prayer, powers and principalities. Believe that with all of my heart. I never need to fight anybody to follow Christ. He made peace. We're called to make peace. Be a reconciler at this time. I do, let me just add a little asterisk at this point. I absolutely believe there are some relationships that are so toxic we need to put boundaries in to ensure they don't continue to hurt us. And, and we in the leadership or hub leaders can help you journey that through. Absolutely passionately believe that. There's times when we need to say, I need to put up some boundaries here. But the general principle is, the general principle, as a follower of Christ, we should be speaking well of people. As a follower of Christ, we should be blessing people. As a follower of Christ, our hearts should be open to building relationship. As a follower of Christ, our homes should be open to grab a coffee. As a follower of Christ, we should be intentional of saying our unity matters. Just some of the verses through in Ephesians 2 from the NIV again. For he, Jesus, himself is our peace. You see, the peace that we want to bring, the unity we want to build, the relationships we want to develop come from the reality that Christ has become our peace. Jesus is our peace. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Jesus made peace. I, I encourage you, maybe some of us this afternoon, you need to send somebody a WhatsApp or a text or just reach out to somebody. May, may we just find a place of peace. You wouldn't use that language. You understand what I'm saying. Build a bridge with somebody this afternoon. Reconnect with somebody. Bless somebody. He came and preached peace to, uh, preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. He preached it. He taught it. He declared it. He instructed peace. I'm going to pray a little bit later. We've got communion uh, shortly. And just before that, I'm just going to pray that the peace of Christ will be real and tangible for each and every one of us. And that will encourage us to reach out to others. Let me conclude with a story. 1982, Berlin Wall still exists. Uh, and then there was a Christian pastor uh, 
his name's actually Christian Führer in Leipzig, what was East Germany, bloke there, bottom right on the photos. And he starts a Monday evening prayer meeting, prays for peace within his nation. You've got East and West Germany divided, families divided. Berlin in particular, there's a great wall there that symbolizes this division of a nation. And so he starts a prayer meeting on Monday nights, 7, 7 p.m., and it's like one of those prayer meetings that not many people come to. It's not an easy prayer meeting, but he just feels somebody needs to be praying for peace in our divided nation. They gather to pray for peace, and they gather to pray for the impossible to happen. In, uh, anyway, people start to come over the years, a few more and a few more. By 1989, seven years later, the communist leaders, the police, decided that this religious movement in Leipzig was getting a little bit out of hand. There's too many people praying here. So they announced that on, on Monday the 7th of October 1989, that those that have come to pray for peace will be met uh, with force. And again, we've seen how uprisings are often crushed and oppressed in, in autocratic parts of the world. Medics contacted him, doctors said... We know you're going to continue to pray for peace, so we'll be outside. We'll set up zones so those with bullet shot wounds, we can try and take care for them. We'll, we'll support this prayer meeting by, by helping people that, that end up in physically in a bad place. Anyway, that evening, 8,000 people gathered at St. Nicholas Church, Leipzig. They, they gathered, they lit candles, and they prayed for peace on their streets. As they opened the doors to head out there, they all took candles out to go and pray for their city, headed into the main market square, and they were joined by 70,000 others within the city, all praying for the peace of their nation. No violence occurred on that night. A month later, the Berlin Wall fell, and a whole nation was united. Was it exclusively to do with the prayers of this one gathering? I suspect there were a lot more people praying. There were socio-economic, political things going on at the same time. But the prayers of peace seemed to make an extraordinary difference. They asked the East German leaders later, they said to them, why didn't you open fire that night? Why didn't you put down these people that were praying? And they said this, this was their direct quote, we were ready for anything except prayers and candles. We believe that there is a power in our unity. We believe there's a power when we speak blessing on others. We believe there's a power when we show kindness to a world out there that doesn't yet know our wonderful Jesus. Then they asked Christian Führer many years later, why on earth did you do it? And he said, we did it because the church has to do it. Speaking of bringing peace. Who else is there to do it if the church won't do it? I wonder if the band wanna come back. I'm gonna take communion as well if Sarah and Lucia. Thank God that we're a family together. Thank God that we have the opportunity, should we choose to build strong relationships. Let's ask ourselves the question this morning as this simple bread and juice gets passed round. Where in my heart or actions am I bringing strife or division?
as we take communion this morning. Why not make it your prayer? Lord, I want to be a bringer of peace. I want to be a reconciler. I want something about your spirit on me to be one who breaks down walls, breaks down divisions. In my workplace, I want to be known who's about as one who brings peace and unity. Who do you need to message, contact, reach out to, build a bridge? Let me pray. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. Thank you that the simple bread and juice reminds us of your death. And this, this bread reminds us of your body broken for all. And one of the lessons you were trying to teach us as you had that first last supper was that we're one body together in you. You have united us. Lord, I pray that out of our unity, you will fill this place with your presence and your power. That we will become a, a spiritual dwelling for you, Lord. You will be happy to make yourself amongst us. That this would be a positive environment as church that in some way attracts your blessing and favour and presence. And you say, I'm happy to dwell amongst those people because they carry the spirit of peace and reconciliation. Allow God just speak into your heart in this moment. We welcome you, Holy Spirit.